Thank you, Liz, and welcome all of you. I have the distinct honor of uh, introducing Dr. Scylla Elworthy, uh, who is going to be kicking off this conference this evening as our first uh, keynote speaker. And it's hard to imagine, I won't say any, but many more appropriate individuals uh, to inaugurate an, an event of of this kind. Many of you um, will know uh, Dr. Elworthy Silla, um, somebody who I think it's fair to say has been committed to the study and the promotion of peace in this country and across the world uh, for a very, very long time and has had a very uh, accomplished uh, career in this area. I first became acquainted with her, many of you as well, I would think, uh, for her leadership with the Oxford Research Group, which she was the founding director of and remained executive director of until 2003, having founded it in 82. And the, the Oxford Research Group, I think, is, is unusual, if not unique, in seeking not only to produce high-quality research, a lot of uh, uh, institutes, including this one, the university does that, but uh, uh, in doing so, also seeking to generate uh, dialogue with senior decision makers in an attempt to bring critical scrutiny to prevailing orthodoxy, particularly in, in areas of, of security. And um, I, 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 this is something that's really very, very difficult to uh, achieve to create an atmosphere of trust and openness, and I think uh, very much to your credit, the credit of your colleagues, and uh, you've been very, very successful in this this area. Uh, in turn, uh, Scylla has founded Peace Direct subsequently in 2003, an NGO that supports local peace builders in conflict areas, and she's also been more recently an advisor to the elders, an independent group of eminent global leaders that were brought together by Nelson Mandela, uh, who seek to offer their collective influence and experience uh, to support peace-building initiatives, and also serving as a council member of the World Future uh, Council. And these are just some of the highlights of a long and extraordinary and extraordinarily effective career dedicated to building peace in one sense or another of the term. And I've said nothing about uh, the prodigious output uh, in terms of her own writings of um, uh, books, book chapters, edited volumes, and, and reports. So we're all delighted that you're able to be with us on this occasion, and um, I invite you to join me in welcoming Scylla Elworthy. Thank you for a very generous introduction, most kind, and good evening. Good evening. Uh, I had the great joy a few days ago to interview Desmond Tutu when he was here. He's an old friend and colleague of Liz Carmichael's from her days in South Africa. And what struck me, as soon as you walk into the room with him, and it happens every time, I've met him, is that there is this wonderful combination of an extraordinarily open heart, a, 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 a 
twinkling compassion, if you like, combined with the sharpest eye for direction, how are we going to get this done, and strategy. It's a magical combination. And I'm sure it will infuse from his time in Oxford earlier this week our discussions tomorrow, him being probably one of the greatest living peace builders. Um, now, I'm not going to try and entertain you tonight, which is what you're supposed to do in an after-dinner speech. I do have some very good jokes, but they're all entirely unsuitable. Um, I'm also, when, when Liz invited me to do this, uh, my knee-jerk reaction was to try and impress you. But when I realised the IQ and the experience that would be in this room, I gave that up as a very bad proposition. Uh, so instead, I'm going to plant with you one or two, possibly three, key questions. I've recently been having a sabbatical and devoted part of it to looking back over 30 years in this field. And somewhat to my shock, I noticed, or I noticed the absence of any coherent, uh, extended, global strategy for the building of peace. We've had uh, very inspiring United Nations agendas. We've had some courageous national initiatives. We've had an increasing high standard of research from universities. We've had NGOs doing what they do in conflict areas. But I ask myself now, and this is my first question for you. Is it time for a worldwide, worldwide strategy for the building of peace? Consider three facts. More conflicts are now resolved by negotiation than by military victory. Uh, in the 1990s, the ratio was 42 to 23, and that's risen since 2005 to 17 to 4, 17 by negotiation, 4 by military victory. The second phenomenon that we are noticing is that localised peace-building initiatives, these are the ones organised by people on the spot who know what's need, not needs to be done, are phenomenally in, on the increase. Ten years ago, when the Oxford Research Group uh, examined reliable, effective peace-building initiatives in conflict areas, we could locate 400 effective ones. Now it would be very easy to uh, multiply that figure by four. Um, we've always known that it costs less to prevent war than to try and clear it up after the violence has erupted. But now we've got very reliable comparative studies, and there's a footnoted version of all this for you if you want it. Um, we've got very reliable comparative studies to show that $1 on spent on prevention achieves more than $60 spent on trying to deal with violence once it's erupted. Now let me digress from the facts a minute to tell you a story. This is the story of Deka Ibrahim Abdi. She's a Muslim woman uh, who 
uh, was uh, engaged in trying to mediate a clan dispute in northeastern Kenya, which had claimed already 1,300 lives. Decker managed to do this by bringing together the women of the two clans. As a result of her success, she was then mandated to train peace builders all over Kenya and East Africa. Fast forward to December 2007, and you'll remember that post the election, the disputed elections, violence broke out very suddenly all over Kenya. Decker was summoned to the Serena Hotel in Nairobi, where were gathered two Kenyan retired UN peacekeeping force generals, one ambassador, and two civil society leaders like herself. And when she walked in, dressed, I imagine, in her immaculate floor-length gown and veil, uh, the ambassador pointed to an empty seat and said, Decker, you take the chair. We have to design a way to stop this violence. And one of the things they did was to get hold of the members of a women's organization nationwide, 60,000 members of whom had mobile phones. And they said to them, please look out of your window and text or phone and tell us what's happening. They put flip chart up all around the walls of the hotel room and on this flip chart they mapped the hot spots and the cold spots because they wanted to know where people were running to of the violence. They then set out with all their networks, all the people they knew in all the communities with um, religious leaders, women's organization leaders, sports personalities, the media, everybody they knew, they crafted strategies for each one of those hot spots and for the cold spots. Result, in two to three weeks they had the violence under control. When Kofi Annan arrived to negotiate between the two political leaders, which he did successfully, the violence was under control. Now I tell you this story for three reasons. First of all, it's an outstanding example of what, in all our research, shows to be the most effective way of building peace. Namely, when you have a top-down or official uh, methodology negotiation which links into a bottom-up or localised initiative. Secondly, what Decker did is important because um, it's an example among thousands now of how effective how, and how sophisticated localised initiatives are becoming. What they did was pounced upon by a very bright young Kenyan woman who turned it into an in internet engine called Ushahidi. I see you smiling. Um, Ushahidi is a platform that local people can text or send information into which then maps the extent of the crisis so that a strategy can be built immediately in real time uh, as to what needs to be done. It's now been applied in Haiti and in Gaza. Um, the third reason why what Decker did uh, is important is that the whole operation cost less than $200,000. And it avoided, in many people's opinion, uh, Kenya becoming like another Somalia.
a civil war. But before we jump to any simplistic conclusions here, uh, we, should be, uh, we should note that a conflicted society often has lots of localised initiatives which just don't network, they don't get together, they can't be cohesive enough to stop the violence in the way that happened in Kenya. Also, don't forget that 40% of peace agreements fail and violence ensues again within 10 years. And we don't know enough about why that is. Um, one of the reasons certainly is that uh, very often the stakeholders, the key stakeholders in the conflict aren't brought to the table, like renegade militias, like those who are making a lot of money out of resource exploitation and so on. Um, but one of the reasons why we need a first-class university research effort on this is that we need to know why 40% of peace agreements fail. We also need to know uh, more accurately what is the cost-effectiveness of civilian compared to military peace, uh, peace enforcement or peace building. But back to the big picture. Um, OECD governments for every one dollar that they spend on the prevention of conflict spend $1,885 on the military. Current global military expenditure is $1.46 trillion. Now, for those of us for whom that many noughts are too many at this time of night, it equates to $217 per person in the world. But more importantly even, there's been a 45% increase in military spending over the last 10 years. Hard to believe. And the last fact I'm going to give you is that each year between 45 and $60 billion worth of arms are traded or transferred. You might say to me, oh, Stella, we know all this stuff. And I would say to you, if we know all this stuff, are we then crazy that we don't act on it? We know what works. We know what can be done. We know how it's done. We know where the effective people are. Is this not an extraordinary situation that we're in? Isn't it time to bring together all that we know how to do? Does it call for a brand new approach to how our world deals with war? And I'm look looking forward very much to discussing some of these points with you tomorrow or maybe later. But meanwhile, I'd like to give you a few ideas to sleep on. How about a Versailles Convention of 2018? Now that will be a hundred years since the end of what was called the war to end all wars. Um, and it would be a great anniversary to bring to an end 
the bloodiest hundred years that the world has known. Why not mark that anniversary with a convention that could set out how we can prevent killing? We could prepare this uh, in time for the United Nations General Assembly in September of 2018. It's only eight years away. Um, For perhaps a general signing on November the 11th of 2018 in Versailles. That would at least ensure French participation, which is often difficult to get. Um, The convention could focus on a series of agreed steps that must be taken before force is used. You know, very often when people go to war, they say we tried all the means available. But actually, those who know what the means available are know that they have not all been tried. So so a prevention convention could set out, very much as the genocide convention did, a set of steps that have to be taken before force is used. It could also uh, ensure that talks are engaged in with non-state threats, which very often does not happen. The United Nations could also be encouraged by its member states to set up a regional rapid response force. Because as we know, when conflict breaks out, there are very often the people there who know what to do, like Uh, the uh, collaboration in Kenya but there is no money to support them Um, and all the peace builders that we know now all over the world in conflict areas say if only there was a regional fund under proper regional jurisdiction the great and good of the region could be in charge of it that can go into action straight away when, uh, when a crisis blows up The funding for this convention could conceivably come from governments. And one method for that could be an agreed worldwide 10% tax on arms transfers. Now, we could talk about ideas like this tomorrow. Um, There are significant obstacles, but it might be worth a try. It's certainly worth some thought. Um, And I'd just like to close by saying that I hope that tomorrow we'll we'll bring together this magic combination that Desmond Tutu personified. The combination of heart and head, the combination of compassion and strategy. So thank you.